This episode of Life on a Plate is sponsored by Vitamix. Now, Vitamix is much more than just a blender because a Vitamix can make everything from frozen desserts and smoothies to nut butters and dips. You can use it to grind coffee or spices, and this one really threw me. It can even turn raw ingredients into hot soup in just six minutes. In fact, it's a fantastic tool if you want to get more fruit and veg into your meals. And it's great for plant-based recipes too, making it really easy to eat healthily. A Vitamix is simple to use, and here's the bit that I really love, easy to clean, but it's powerful too and you can expect fast and professional results, which is one of the reasons why many chefs would not be without one. Vitamix have been around since 1921, which is 100 years of expertise that goes into every blender, and they are completely built to last. All in all, a Vitamix is a great investment, and I can absolutely vouch for the fact that it's a total game changer in the kitchen. To get yours, visit johnlewis.com forward slash Vitamix. Welcome to Life on a Plate, the brand new podcast from Waitrose, in which we talk to some very special guests about what food really means to them. We ask about their comfort foods and favourite dishes, their food memories and even their kitchen disasters. And by the end of each episode, you'll know a lot more about them. With me, as ever, is my co-host, Alison Okavy. Waitrose food editor and all-round recipe Yoda. Yeah, I'm gonna I'm gonna go with it. Um, how are you, Alison? You all right? Do you know I'm all right, thank you. I'm doing well. Tell me, I've been thinking. Everyone knows that you're a, a restaurant critic, and they're used to reading your reviews of restaurants. But what do you like in the kitchen? What do you like? What do you cook? Oh man, I've been put on the spot. Um, yes, you're right. I do kind of uh, pass judgment on other people's food and never really reveal uh, that much about my own. But um, but yeah, I like to cook all. I like to cook all sorts of things. Really, it's kind of when you've got young kids, you have to sort of balance what you're really craving against what will not just end in kind of tantrums and fury and screaming. So. Um, we tend to do things where there's a few elements. And so generally, if there's one or two things um, that they quite like and they're familiar with, then we can mix it up with some unfamiliar bits. Um, recently, uh, just the other day, I made some tacos and I did kind of uh, little um, uh, skewers of chicken and I kind of griddled those and it was almost like a kind of a shawarma style vibe. Um, nice. And they were happy with the chicken a bit sort of turning their noses up, literally holding their noses in some cases um, about some of the other stuff that me and my wife are having. But that was pretty good. Nice. I like a fridge clear out. It's a good thing, isn't it? They're the best ones where you just kind of don't really know what you're going to have. But yeah, you sort of throw something together. It's great, isn't it? And the meal kind of evolves, or the dish comes together as you kind of empty the fridge. That's my type of cooking. And you ask me at the start of what we're going to have and it's like, well, I don't know. It's just see how it, see what it ends up like. I know exactly what you mean. And actually, it uh, relates nicely to our guest today, who is very funny and very interesting on just those things. Sarah Millican is our guest. And we just didn't stop laughing, did we, Alison? She was great. She just had us in stitches the whole time. And we were just, it was just a really good conversation about food and cooking and 
just her joy of being at home. Yeah, yeah, it was really great. Um, Sarah, uh, for those that don't know, is a award-winning, acclaimed comedian. Um, she broke through at the Edinburgh Festival, an Edinburgh Festival that I was actually at, I think, which I think we touch on, um, in 2008. Her DVD, Chatterbox Live, is still, and I didn't know this, the uh, best-selling uh, female stand-up DVD of like all time. Uh, she's got a huge really engaged online community she's an enormous bake-off and general baking fan and she's just a beam of funniness and frankness and and joy and laughter and yeah she was uh, she was a riot i i really loved um how she kind of really celebrated home and that it wasn't always about cooking some multi-ingredient um thing where you're kind of you've grown your own veg it's it's you know sometimes it's a ready meal sometimes it's a tin of biscuits it's just a really lovely approach to food mm. it's actually realizing that actually sometimes you just haven't got the right time to cook from scratch yeah. and, and and actually a ready meal is is the best thing or or and when she makes a cake you know she goes and puts a lot of love in it as she's doing it. Yeah, yeah. It might not be a looker, but they taste. It's all about the taste and flavour. Yeah, completely. Um, lots of fun stuff about going on tour as well, and kind of um, the reality of doing that, and her tour rituals, which uh, were very fun. And she's she's just uh, she's just a joy to be around. We could have talked for hours and hours, I think. And I suppose uh, we should get down to it, shouldn't we? Sounds good to me. So. Without any further ado, here is our Life on a Plate conversation with Sarah Millican. Sarah Millican, thank you so much for joining us. How are you? Yeah, I'm all right, actually. I'm not too bad. I've eaten and I'm clean. I mean, if, if these are these feel like a massive achievements these days, don't they? They do, they do in the context of, yeah, recent... <laughs> Recent struggles, but I wanted to start off by kind of looking back to where it all began for you. Um, you uh, broke through at Edinburgh. I think I was at that Edinburgh in 2008. Oh, did I, you I come to my show, Jimmy? around that time. Uh, yeah, of course. That's the correct answer <laughs> to that question, isn't it? Um, but, I wanted to, but I wanted to go back to, to that. It's always framed as, oh, you know, you had a job before, you worked as a civil servant, and you broke through in comedy were you always funny? Did you grow up in a house where everyone was funny? Was comedy always there? I think it's weird. When you grow up in a family where you spar, I don't like banter because oh, banter is often aggressive. People go, oh, it's just banter. And you think, I think you're being mean to me. <laughs> that's not banter. <laughs> but we used to verbally spar. Um, but, but if that's all you know, you don't realise that means that you're all funny. I, I think you just think this is what all families are like. Um, I wasn't funny at school, for sure, because I was really quiet and didn't really say much to anybody at all. And then it was only when I, I got a job in a cinema and all of a sudden um, I was popular and had never, ever been popular before. And I think that's just because I knew about films and because I was quite funny. And then every now and again, people have reminded me that when I left a job, which I did many times, never without another job lined up, though, like my mum taught me. <laughs> um, but when I left a job, sometimes 
in the card, somebody would write, oh, we'll, we'll miss you, a breath of fresh air or you're so funny or just something that would imply that. But never, there's a difference between being funny and then sort of assuming that you can charge for it. <laughs> there's, a, there's a big gap between those two yeah. things. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> Otherwise, everyone would be doing it. Well, um, quite. In terms of that, you grew up in South Shields, is that right? And uh, in terms of that sparring and that atmosphere, how did food figure into that? What were the meals that were that were being cooked around that time? Well, my my mum was never great at cooking, but she could do a really good dinner. She could do a dinner, but she would never do like a souffle or a flan. That's not the kind of house we grew up in. Uh, my mum would sometimes watch a Victorian Kitchen Garden on the television and we'd come in and she'd been experimenting, which was not all, not always great exactly and she she just put a tin of beans in a casserole and we'd say what was on Victorian kitchen garden and she'd say apple pie they made an apple pie and she it didn't inspire her to make an apple pie it inspired her to put a tin of beans in a casserole uh, so we were raised on like good dinners she could do a really good dinner but it was never very experimental and I suppose I'm sort of similar now that I can make a good dinner but it doesn't I don't stretch myself because part of my lifestyle is eating out a lot because whenever you're on the road you don't have a kitchen and a lot of your life is eating in restaurants and so I tend to cook at home the things that I you can't really get in restaurants like beans on toast because I mean it's great if you find a calf when you're on tour that does baked potatoes it is so exciting because often you're having quite lavish meals and sometimes you just want a baked potato with a bit of coleslaw on <laughs> that is, yeah yeah I, I can totally relate to that Alison I was gonna say did you did you do much cooking when you were growing up to help your mum I think because I, I remember when because my mum was disabled and so after a while she couldn't really manage to sort of stand for too long in the kitchen so I would get in from school and I would do the dinner for four of us but it would be that out of the freezer in the oven and that out of the freezer in the oven so it would be fish and chips something like something really easy so it was certainly never what I call proper cooking which is where you start with an onion Mm. you always start with an onion everything starts with an (laughs) onion doesn't it and that's why that's my sort of shorthand when we haven't planned our meals properly this week for example and I'll say to my husband, oh, I don't want to start chopping an onion at eight o'clock at night. Like it's because that's proper <laughs> cooking, isn't it? And you're like, is there something we can yeah. bung in the oven that doesn't start with an onion? Uh, so that's probably the first sort of meals I cooked. But I don't know if you count warming through as cooking. Technically, they're cooked, I suppose. Um, but I, I don't know if it's, <laughs> it's. I mean, it's food and we're eating it and it has been cooked thoroughly, but it's not starting from scratch. I think the, the probably the first time I experimented a little bit was when I, um, when I was first um, married the first time and I would have people over from, I was an, uh, an audiobook producer and I would have the readers, the, the actors who did all the voices and were incredible. And I would have, because they would be stuck in Whitley Bay for four nights in, in a little flat and I would have them come round to me and I would, I can't even think that it was very tasty. I would do like a chickeny, pastory thing. I never, st- I'm very recipe led now, but I never did recipes then. 
And I think I must have been quite an entertaining host because they always came back and I think the food was very bland. (laughs) (laughs) It can't have been that bad if they kept coming back. Sometimes when I'm on tour, the nicest thing somebody can do for me is to cook me a meal and invite me to their house because it's so rare because you eat either in restaurants or cafes or you get, you know, takeaways backstage at the venue and it's, it feels like some people probably think, wow, that sounds amazing. But the same as anything, it gets boring because you do it for two years solid. And then sometimes somebody will say, oh, like every time I'm in Newcastle, my sister will invite me round and she'll cook a roast and she'll invite me and my tour support and my tour manager and we all go around and she'll do a roast. And it just feels like such a treat when you're all of your home comforts are gone because you're staying in hotels you're living out of suitcases and then for somebody to make you a proper dinner in their kitchen and then you can move into the living room and have oh this is what restaurants are missing is living rooms for a bit of sort of unbuttoning of <laughs> jeans and a small nap afterwards I think there's a definite yeah. gap in the market for that <laughs> especially after a Sunday roast exactly exactly just yeah they could just have a little ante room where everybody just <laughs> sprawls out everyone's in sort of elasticated trousers and everyone's just provide them so that if you go in in two tight clothes and they're like maybe there's a dress code and they're like no no no, you need these and then just give you some really comfy pants yes yes like a sort of reverse cloakroom where you pick them up on your way one thing that you do like uh if your instagram is anything to go by and uh, you've mentioned it in your shows as well is cake and baking I like i'm more of a, a baker than a cook i think yes mm. so talk us through your history with with baking and was it always the case that you were kind of cake mad not really i think um i've always liked i mean i don't really trust anybody who says they don't like cake <laughs> some people are oh no I'd, I'd rather have a bag of nuts and i think well we're not going to be friends uh, <laughs> ever <laughs> let's all sit around and have a bag of nuts with a cup of tea no thanks um so i have always been very busy i'm a massive workaholic and then uh, a few years ago when we moved to the countryside and we had a bit more time and i would have slightly bigger gaps between tours to kind of just live a little and you know and and it wasn't quite so manic all of the time i started to bake and um a friend of mine is very good in the kitchen and she gave me this massive list when i first moved in to this house she said here are the things you should have in your kitchen and it was ingredients and also uh, sort of equipment oh, and uh, utensils. Mm. She's great. But every now and again, I'll just find like a, a now an eight-year-old jar of nutmeg and think, oh, she was wrong <laughs> about nutmeg because <laughs> <laughs> nutmegs never come up. <laughs> I think the thing with cake is I like to be able to bake something and then provide. And mm. I like the compliments. I think if you don't, when you in lockdown, you can't get the compliments, you might post it on Instagram yeah. and then you get compliments. Yes. Although you also sometimes get people saying that looks awful. Uh, so I once did it, made a casserole and I put it, a, a picture up on Twitter and, uh, and, somebody had said oh it looks like it's been thrown up in a shop doorway and uh, Nigel Slater said god bless him said actually I think that looks delicious can I come round and I was like thank you he felt like you know when you're at school and somebody bullies you and then somebody stands up to the bully and I was like thank you Nigel Slater yeah that's amazing (laughs) Nigel to the rescue just kind of yeah but I, I, I try to when I make it's nice to be able to give cake away because otherwise you eat all of the cake (laughs) And it's not good. So if if I if I make a decent sized cake and 
Gary, my husband and I can have a slice and then I can palm it off on other people. Then yeah. I've had the, the pleasure of baking, the pleasure of eating, but not the, the sick feeling of, <laughs> well, I'm going to have to finish it because I don't like waste. Yeah. <laughs> That's why you should employ what I do. I, I kind of post it to people. Do you? I didn't even know you could post cake. Why has nobody ever <laughs> yeah. posted me cake? That's incredible. That is, that's Give the me your address now. and one yeah, turn exactly. up. If nothing I'd else. I'd like to be on that mailing list. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I do feel like it's a subscription service waiting to happen. Like, be careful what you wish for, Alison. <laughs> You'll you be inundated. Get, like, well, you can get gin delivered. Why can't you get cake delivered? Mm. <laughs> Smart. I like it. <laughs> So do you bake the same kind of cake every, or do you kind of like a variety of bakes? Do you get bored with doing the same thing the whole time or do you have one that you've cracked? I have a few because whenever Bake Off's on, I like to bake along, but I don't do that thing that people do where they say I'm going to bake whatever they're baking. So I'm going to do, oh, it's pie week or it's, you know, free from week, which we all know is flavour free week. <laughs> <laughs> all of these things. And I just do a cake every week or biscuits every week. So my favourite one is probably I do a chocolate and banana cake which is nice incredible and it hasn't what I like about bacon is I don't do uh, I don't do fancy icing I don't always do fillings this chocolate and banana cake needs neither it is not uh, it, it, it's not a pretty cake but it is a delicious cake and I just took weirdly John Barrowman's banana bread recipe of the BBC website (laughs) (laughs) and I added two bags of giant buttons I mean what recipe can't be improved what situation in life can't be improved by two bags of giant buttons and it is it is an amazing cake and I I run a little new material gig in the real world um and I'll have five or six comedian friends on and I'll make a cake and I make sure the venue has coffee and tea making facilities backstage and I make a cake. And when they come off stage, having done their new material, they get a wedge and it's not a slice. It's a wedge, a slab, if you like, of cake. And and sometimes they go, oh, no, I'm all right. And then they see other people going, oh, my God. It's it, What I like about it is it's a surprising cake. It's not a cake where you it looks amazing. You know, sometimes like cupcakes, for example, look really pretty, but when you the cake is dry because they've done all the singing and dancing oh it's look it's got a, a whole oreo on the top and a half a bag of maltesers <laughs> but the cake itself is poor this is the opposite of that this looks like well, it's probably all right and it's oh my god this is amazing it's one of those cakes so that's probably my main one but i do i do nigella's flourless chocolate i do a lemon oh, drizzle nice. that's a nice one yeah i did a lemon drizzle so much it made my dad it was so lemon and so drizzle that it made my dad's face screw up like I'd never seen it before. And it, he swallowed and he went, oh, that was great. And I thought, oh, I wasn't sure hey. what, if there was a compliment coming or not. <laughs> that is the sign of a good lemon yeah. drizzle. I think Alison's with you on that. It kind of needs to hurt a bit as well. It's yeah. kind of, you know, <laughs> it's pain kind of and pleasure at once. <laughs> exactly. That. But I always find there's look there's cakes that are either looker cakes or taster cakes oh that sounds like you do the taster cakes well you know when you buy a cake that is you know like a like a fruit cake or often it'll just be a cake and it'll not have any icing it'll not have any middly bit nothing it's no no bells and whistles and you know that's a good cake i think it's really great the way that you kind of post these things on instagram and you're always kind of just asking people what they're eating and uh, that's one of the things I really love about food, that kind of nosiness about what people are eating as well. Is that something that you that you really love and enjoy? Yeah, I really like it because I think, especially when, because of something like Bake Off, which is a thing, you know, millions of people are watching and I can't not be eating something sweet while it's on because 
you're just the sugar pangs are too like my husband had at the beginning of the last series of Big Off had given up sugar. I mean, he says that. He just has all of his sugar in one day of the week. <laughs> and the rest of the week he has no sugar. But on that one day, it's like a children's party here. Um and he was like, oh, I'm not having sugar today. And then he said, why have I got such bad sugar cravings? And I was like, we're watching Bake Off. Are you mad? <laughs> so I enjoy, and I enjoy the variety of responses I get when I ask, what are you eating? Because it's not what have you made, it's what are you eating? Some people are too busy. Some people don't cook. Some people are sitting with a twirl. And other people have got a crock on bouche. <laughs> like, I love the variety of things. It's so incredible. And uh, But everybody is eating something. Then you get the odd person who, I just like a bag of nuts. And I think, oh, go away. Why are you following me? <laughs> but I think it goes back almost to what you were saying about kind of your upbringing and you you had to put those things into the oven and warm them through, but I'm sure they were still appreciated and loved. You know, in my home, sometimes it was leftovers that my mum had made and left out for us to do or frozen stuff, but it was great. And you appreciate whatever somebody gives to you and that act of love of as well. And, and also if you, when you don't, when you're not raised, not raised in a house like that, when you're raised in a house where somebody puts a meal in front of you, however it's made, whether it's been microwaved, whatever, that is still somebody who's taken, there's still care and there's still love involved. My, um, my mom used to, when I was a kid, I lived quite close to the school, so I never really stayed for, uh, there was, during the miners' strike uh, in 1984, I stayed for school dinners, uh, but the rest of the time uh, I came home for lunch. And my mom would do, an, a, a bowl of oxtail soup which I mean we all know is just gravy uh, an oxtail soup out of a tin and warmed in it you know on the hob and she'd put our slippers on we had a coke boiler because my dad worked down the pit and uh and she'd put our slippers on the pipes around. So you'd come in to this smell of gravy, which is <laughs> what it is. And your slippers would be warmed. And you can't tell me that that is less, there's less love in that than somebody who started with chopping an onion. You know, it's the provision, isn't it? It's somebody providing something for you that will nourish you. about your grandparents being keen growers and gardeners and that memory and I wondered if you could talk a little bit about that. Yeah, my my granddad was um he had he changed a room in his house uh and he had a little flat and he changed a room to be like uh where you would grow you know, it, it essentially a greenhouse, but it was my mum's old bedroom, which I think is glorious. And he would grow, uh, and he was, yeah, he was a very keen uh, gardener. And n- none of us really were for until I then I moved to the countryside and I decided to get it. I'm going to have a greenhouse. And at the moment, it's just full of twigs because I haven't had the time or indeed the patience. But I have uh, have been growing um, herbs, and it pleases my husband so much that when he cooks a roast, he nips out into the garden for rosemary. That is that is so not like us. That is not us at all. There was one time we had friends over and we were doing, we did some baked potatoes and we had some sour cream and, and, and I said, oh, I'll just nip out and get some chives. And because our friends knew us very well and knew what we were like when we lived in our little flats and we have these busy sort of hectic lives. And I said, I'll just nip out for chives. And one of our friends was like, no, no, you don't have to. And I said, oh, I'll only be a couple of minutes. He thought I was driving to the supermarket and I was literally <laughs> going around the back of the garden with me with me clippers to uh, to bring some in. But it was just glorious that he was like, what? You, you're growing it. And it's when you live in the city, the idea of somebody growing herbs is so odd to you. 
<laughs> but I have grown courgettes and tomatoes and raspberries and strawberries. It's so much more satisfying cooking something that you've grown. What did you do with your courgettes that you grew? Oh, I mean, there wasn't a huge amount. That's the thing is I've, I've done very well at a few things in a small amount. Uh, tomatoes, uh, you know, it's this. And I, I, generally with tomatoes, they wouldn't reach cooking because they're so tasty compared to the kind of water filled ones you often get in the shops. Because my granddad used to grow tomatoes and that was that smell of a homegrown tomato that you cannot get anywhere else. You have to, it's the it's the reward for the time you've spent growing your tomatoes is that smell. And that always reminds me of my granddad because that's how tomatoes smelled at his house because they were always homegrown. Lovely. What are some of the most memorable, incredible things that you've eaten uh, while you've been out? And what are some of maybe the more sort of desperate or disastrous things that you've been forced to eat when there's been no other option? Like now there's there's apps now where you can just order food from a proper a proper restaurant and it's not just you know what can we manage with today it's actually proper good food you know really nice food so we do you know and then obviously i know restaurant food is full of sugar and butter and salt and that's why it's so delicious you <laughs> always gain food, gain weight on tour to hopefully lose it in the gap to gain it again that's always the plan uh, and uh, but i have um Western Supermare has a special place in my heart because we found takeaway roasts that would deliver any day. Not so not not a Sunday. It was a Wednesday, and we had a roast oh, delivered to us. And it wasn't, you know, it wasn't elaborate. It was fairly simple, but it's always stuck in my mind. And when I look at my new tour and I look and I go, oh, two nights in Western Supermare, <laughs> smashing. <laughs> That's two roast dinners. Exactly. Because roasts are something that uh, during 2020 became a bigger thing for us because we normally don't have the time. We're not at home. And my husband and I started, he's very good in the kitchen and he started to do a roast uh, once a week. And we'd, we do it on a Tuesday and we double dinner, we call double dinner. So you do too much. So you plate up another dinner and then the next day you get the luxury of the lovely food without any of the work. Uh, and I will come in last minute and do showboat and Yorkshire puddings, which as we know are just fluff, but look amazing on a plate and take very little work. And he is toiled over roast potatoes and a chicken <laughs> that he's done upside down for some of it. And then he's turned it over and he's got rosemary out the garden. And I just come in with my ta-ta-ta-ta-ta with my Yorkshire puddings. And they fill up half the plate and they look amazing. And they, I mean, they're flour and water at best. But on tour, it's we, we make sure we have a really good breakfast, which is usually brunch by the time we get up because we've got in really late. Uh, and because we have that shifted body clock, which we still have, even when we're not working, it's just so ingrained to go to bed at two o'clock and to get up at 10 o'clock. And, and often I'll say to my dad, oh, I've just had my lunch. And he's like, it's three. And I'm like, yeah, that's lunchtime is three. And then evening <laughs> meal is eight. And then off we go again. Uh, so we'll have a really good uh, brunch and then we'll have something at the venue. And then the rule is if you are on the coast, you are allowed chips after the gig. And luckily, <laughs> we are quite a small island with quite a big coastline. <laughs> your, your entire tour is just all coast. Yeah, we have to bust the Brummies out. <laughs> you mentioned your husband uh, having his own partially successful sugar ban. Um <laughs> he gives up sugar how, loads, <laughs> so it's not that oh, successful. Yeah, well, I was going to say, how have you, how have you kind of 
been with that? Because you've you've mined it for comedy quite a lot in terms of especially the pressures heaped on women and kind of the shame associated with sweet things and butter and all these kind of things that we crave. And they're quite vilified these days, aren't they? But how have you kind of found it? And have you always been somebody that is just up for celebrating balance and, yeah, the fun stuff? Yeah, I just especially after last year, like if it makes you happy, just eat it. <laughs> so, like I had a friend stay over once and a couple of friends, actually comics, who stayed over when they'd done a gig nearby when I lived in Manchester uh, in the city centre. And they came and stayed. And the following morning, because I had a couple of girls round, I thought I'm going to break out the cup of tea and maybe we'll have some biscuits. And I had some chocolate fingers. And I said to one of the girls, would you like some chocolate fingers? And the other one said, I can't believe you're having those for breakfast. And she's a proper mom. She's got loads of kids. She's like, I can't believe you're having those for breakfast that's disgusting and I said like a you're staying in my flat for free <laughs> shut up <laughs> yeah. and also you had a lot of wine last night <laughs> and I don't really drink I'll have three or four shandies a year and that's it so this is my alcohol so if you're going to knock back your wine to the point where you're slurring I'm going to remind you of that when you criticize my biscuit eating. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I might remember that one next time uh, somebody. <laughs> yeah. People are so quick to judge. And I, I don't eat any differently to what I did when I was a kid. Like, it's not my fault that they've been putting sugar in all the dinners behind my back. <laughs> it's like all the processed food. I always ate processed food. I've been eating it for years. And I think it's, I suppose it's everything in moderation to a degree. But I think after 2020, I'm not sure everything in moderation can counts anymore. I think uh, I know for a fact that when, you know, life opens up again and things are normal in inverted commas, whatever that is for you, uh, I know that I will be moving around a lot more and I know that I will be exercising more and I know that I will be living on the road, but I will be like, oh, you know, we've been a bit sweet today. Let's have some fruit instead. And and we, but when you're um, in such an extreme situation as we have been over, you know, this last 12 months, I think if having a little cake makes you happy, have the cake. Oh, my God, just have the cake. Please don't ask anybody's permission. Just buy bigger trousers. There's always time to lose it if you want to. And if you don't, that's also fine. It seems it seems like it's a real part of the... Because you've got this huge online community in terms of your Twitter followers and your Instagram followers. And I know um, the incredible work that you have done with the Join In uh, campaign that was... Is a Christmas time thing that, that, you know, I think was it the 10th anniversary in this one that we've just had? Talk us through a little bit of that for the people that don't know. Well, join in. I'm a bit of a softy. So the thought of people being feeling sort of miserable on Christmas Day is so sad to me. And I think because life is complicated and you can be lonely all of the time. Of course you can. But there's always things that you could try. There's maybe, oh, I've got friends or I can chat with people at work. Or But Christmas Day, because people just close their doors. So you spend time with your family and you. some people are like, I'm turning my phone off. I'm not. And I think, but there's people who are just on their own. And for whatever reason, it can be something as simple as their partners at work on Christmas Day. Simple as that. It doesn't have to be anything dramatic or sad. And sometimes it is dramatic and sad, of course. Um, and we have, you know, a lot of people who um, sort of reach out. And it takes real guts to say, I feel like 
I need somebody to talk to. And of course, not everybody explains why they feel sad or what their situation is. But some people will just say, what are you having for your tea? And I'll be like, oh, I'm having this for my tea. And have you watched The Queen? Let's watch The Queen. And and I it kicked off uh, a couple of years ago because I put up my top favourite, my top five quality street. And people were like, I can't believe the purple one's not there. And it just, it, it caused chaos. And that is people having a conversation. And they're not all saying, I'm lonely because. They don't have to. They, but they are saying, I would like a conversation and that's enough. And we just use a hashtag uh, join in. Uh, we use capital J, capital I, because then the uh, blind, people's, uh, blind people have um, sort of software that reads uh, the, the the text to them. And with the J and the I, it reads as join in, because otherwise it reads as like Juanan, which is presumably French for something. <laughs> I don't know. Um, and we had, yeah, for 10 years we've done it. And it's it's so heartwarming to see, especially in a place like Twitter's not always great, as we know. And to see people just, you'll see somebody post up a thing saying, oh, I, I'm feeling, I'm struggling a bit today. And you'll see, oh, they've got two replies oh they've got 10 replies oh they've got 50 replies oh they've got 200 replies from people just going oh you know have you thought about doing this have you got anything nice for your tea and just people just lifting people and it is so beautiful to see and it is it's heartwarming and I sit and I cry and I laugh for the entire day and I have a very understanding husband who makes the Christmas dinner and he he quite likes it because I don't go in and stir things and touch things I just leave him to it and he leaves me to to my people and I leave him to his dinner (laughs) his dinner oh Oh, it's lo- it's it's it. lovely. It's it's really people at their best. Yeah, yes. no, that absolutely is. Have you always kind of had that kind of nurturing instinct and getting people to join together and wanting people to not miss out and and be involved? Has that always been the case? Yeah, I, I kind of I'm a bit sort of a mother hen. Like I'm 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 maternal. I have never wanted kids, um, but I'm maternal. I'm always the one who says text me when you get in and checking everybody's all right and you know. And I think especially last year, it, it's really important to just keep an eye on people and then you know every it's it's lovely when you get a message from somebody just saying oh just checking in to say you're okay and we all need to do that a bit more because we know everybody has their life is different you know and temporary though it may be you know hopefully it's it's very different and it's really important to just check in on people and because of there's so many different ways to communicate now like in the back in the old days you'd have to ring their landline and ask their mom if they were in and (laughs) and write them a letter and take it to the post box and now you can you can text while you're having a bath while you're on the loo whatever it is and just a quick how are you yeah and it's that can absolutely lift somebody that somebody's just wants to know how they are that day and that's you know twitter is exactly the same on christmas day and just a, a really lovely way of bringing people together plus isn't it the best bit, the best way of entertaining and to have people around is to not have people around and just have them on your phone <laughs> so you can just sit braless all day if you like <laughs> <laughs> and of course then they can all chat to each other while you go off and have your christmas dinner and well exactly because i i always started off and then after a while they don't need me anymore and i do check in and i do chat to people people still but people are finding each other without me and that is the moment that I think all right we're off we're rolling good um, and I still do chip in and, and sometimes people will say oh I'm, I'm not really on my own because I've got my cat and I go oh it shows a picture of your cat and then everybody will send a picture of their cat and then there's 400 <laughs> pictures of people with their cats and it is just an incredible online community uh, and there are people who it's helped them a couple of years ago so now they come back and they're like oh I've you know I've got a partner now or I'm with my kids this year and I'm all right but I'm gonna jump in for an hour and see if I can cheer some other people up it's it is it is 
humanity at its very, very best, I think. to talk a little bit as well about what you cook at home and what your kind of your store cupboard essentials is there something that is always in the house even if it's a type of biscuit we've got a biscuit tin this is really random and i don't think i've ever told anybody this but a few a good few tours ago um uh lovely allison who was do you remember betty boo the incredible singer from the 90s yeah 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 uh, uh, lovely Alison came to my show in Bristol and gave me to say thank you for the tickets uh, just a little gift which often happens and it was a tin of Shopra biscuits uh, in a little tin with a cat on and we because it's a great size tin because it's not massive so things go stale it's a good keeping it turning over <laughs> size biscuit tin <laughs> we have kept it ever since so we've had that biscuit tin for probably six or seven years and it's the Betty Boo biscuit tin it's always been the Betty Boo biscuit tin <laughs> nice um, but store cupboard wise um, something we seem to rattle through a lot is vinegar which is very random and oh. often my husband will go oh we've got no rice vinegar just put normal vinegar in and <laughs> so we rattle through the malt vinegar quite a yeah. lot yeah no vinegar is a, use- a useful yeah. thing to have it's in it's really yeah. useful to have in and mm. I think another thing that I this is not something that other people eat, I don't think. It's bovril and we don't drink bovril. I have it on toast. And I think that's wow. it's a thing that we used to have as kids. You'd have butter on your toast, always sliced white bread, always. Yeah. And then you'd have a little <laughs> bit of bovril on. And I say to people now, oh, because they have Marmite, which I suppose is yeah, a yeah, version yeah. of that. And I don't like Marmite and I still have bovril, and bovril on my toast. And so there's always bovril in. That's quite, I think most people find that really odd. Do you know where that comes from? It's kind of from my really fast. Your mum, do you know where she got it from? I wonder what the I root don't of know. it is. I don't know. Because my mum used to like drinking like a cup of bovril as well. She just liked the general taste. But I think it was always, it's kind of the opposite of jam, isn't it? If you If you're not, in a sweet mood have a bit of bovril on your toast would you take a jar of bovril with you on tour no I, d- I tend not to take food on tour I have home comforts well I suppose I say that we do have I always have a thing where if we get to the venue say there's a massive traffic jam or whatever and we normally get to venues really early to set up but say we don't and there's traffic whatever we get there half an hour before the show I think I can do anything on a banana, a chunky kicker and a can of Coke. I think I can do anything. I could scale a mountain on those things because it's it's fast sugar, it's slow sugar, it's caffeine. I'm in. <laughs> so Perfect. We always Bouncing have, off the ceiling. We always have fruit uh, because the tendency is always just to to pick at chocolate and biscuits and things. But sometimes you just want a couple of satsumas or a big pile of grapes. And we try to have fruit uh, constantly in the sort of tour kit that we take place to place. And sometimes it'll be nice because we'll get to a venue, like we'll get to a hotel at one in the morning or whatever, and we'll just rifle through the tour kit to take things back up to our rooms. And you'll just see like four satsumas and a chunky kicker or, you know, a twirl or something going back up to the venue. Because sometimes you're so tired, you don't want to start looking for food late or order room service that is, you know, overpriced and very slow to come. Uh, so sometimes you just want a bag of grapes and, you know, a cup of tea before bed. I was going to ask at the end of the tour, is there a meal that you always like craving to come back to? Well, we do what we call maximum home days, which is when, because on tour you're not, you're not on tour for the whole time, you have days off. And on those days off, we'll have 
like home, just a, a really often a roast, a really good home cooked meal. We'll put the fire on even if it's June because it's just something about making it maximum home days. At the end of a tour, it's just having the time and the space to actually try new recipes or to, you know, think oh, to to plan a bit more because normally you buy things and you think we've got to get that on Tuesday because that's the only day that I'm at home. Where when you have this wide expanse of time, there's a lot more sort of fluidity to your plans. Uh, and um, and so, yeah, we do experiment a bit more, I suppose. Um, my husband does, a, a, like I say, does a lot of the cooking. He's, he's discovered in 2020, he discovered that he could make the most incredible roast potatoes. For years, we've had Auntie Bessie's frozen roast. I don't know why I'm whispering. It's a podcast. <laughs> Auntie Bessie's frozen roast potatoes because he always says, I can't do them better than that. Why would I try? It's a lot of faff. Let's not bother. And then he discovered they're actually quite easy. <laughs> and I said, you know, we can never now. Sometimes I think you feel intimidated, though, by something that you think, Maybe it's maybe it's a, a an upbringing thing of just thinking, oh, I can't try that. That's not, you know, like I would never try a souffle. It's not my place to try a souffle. But I bet if I followed the instructions and I had a good oven, I bet I could make a souffle. But but it's there's something that you just find some things you find quite intimidating. I suppose I made a um, uh, we had friends coming around a good long time ago, and I made um a pavlova, which feels like something that like what are you thinking? This is not your place to make a pavlova. And I made a pavlova and it was immense. It was giant. And I put passion fruit on the top, which makes everything even better. But I remember distinctly that it wasn't white. It was, it had a kind of sort of creamy brownie tinge and I'd done it slow and I'd done it on a low temperature. So I did what any normal person does. I asked Nigella Lawson and... (laughs) I took a photo of it and I sent it to her on publicly on Twitter and I said, does this look all right? (laughs) And because she is the most glorious woman, she said, I think it looks fine. How does it taste? And I thought, oh, she's a good chef. And I said, it tastes amazing. And she was like, there you go. That's all you need. It doesn't matter. If it doesn't look perfect, it doesn't matter. This is amazing. You've got Nigel Slater leaping, like (laughs) bouncing to your rescue. And then you've got Nigella giving you tips. It's incredible. But I think, because I did um, did Jamie Oliver's uh, program, the Jamie and Jimmy's one, the one where they they say to you, and they they were so good because they say... um, when you're preparing to do the show, they say, what is the best meal you've ever had? And we're going to try and teach you how to make that. We're going to find the recipe. And I said, you know what? I, I live often on microwave meals. And they said, rather than go, oh, no, no, they were so smart. And they said, what's your favorite microwave meal then? And we're going to teach you how to make that, but better. And it was uh, it was a sausage pasta. And he showed me how to make this. And I've made it so many times since. And of course, it's better than the microwave meal. It doesn't take three minutes. It takes hours. But it is beautiful. And I regularly do it now. And that's the sort of thing that when I'm not working so intensively and I'm not away from home, I like to start in the afternoon. Like I say, not chopping an onion at 8pm. It's not happening. Uh, That's time to ring out and get something delivered. Uh, But if I can start in the afternoon and prepare something, because I think um, when I first moved in, when we first moved into this house, a friend of mine said, oh, you should get one of those um, boiling water taps. And I said, no, I said, the rule of this house is everything is slow. 
I didn't want the immediacy. And that's why I've got a mixer, it's a you know, countertop mixer, but I rarely use it. I'll use it for like meringue or something where I have to do a lot of whisking, but I'm not going to use it to make a cake because I want the time. I think that's the luxury of cooking for me and baking is the actual time to enjoy the process. It's not just get a means to an end. It's it's really enjoying the whole thing from start to finish. So all the all the pictures of the cakes you've made on Instagram, you'd have beaten the sugar and butter together from scratch with a wooden yeah. spoon. Yeah. Wow, I'm impressed. Very impressive. <laughs> it's because yeah. well, because I'm not I'm if I'm making a cake, I'm not dashing from here to there. If if I'm dashing from here to there, I'm gonna have a chocolate digestive. <laughs> that's gonna be my <laughs> yeah, that's gonna yeah. be what I'm having. But if I've got time, see I'm not you know what I can see how those you know mixers and all of the convenience stuff is much easier. You know, if you're a mom and you've got to do a birthday cake and you've got to pick the kids up from the school and that's that one's doing an extra lesson in French and all of these things and you've still got to make a cake, get the mixer on. But if I make enjoying the process of making the cake and I've got some music on in the kitchen and I'm having a lovely time, yeah, I'll do that. Uh, the the only annoying thing I find is I so how do I never remember to get the butter out an hour before <laughs> and I am cutting it so small with a knife to get it even remotely beatable <laughs> so I never remember <laughs> I often put it in the oven I've got an oven that you can get down to 30 degrees and so you turn it down cut it out small and put it idea. down low and I but remember, then you better try not to get it melting. Oh, that's true. I remember Jo Brand on when she did Bake Off and she just sat on it. <laughs> she just sat on a bar of butter. And I was like, I mean, that also works. That's a bit dangerous. <laughs> Both methods will work. <laughs> exactly. So, Sarah, you are about to embark on tour kind of later on this year. Uh, very excitingly, Bobby Dazzler. What sort of things do you do when you finished like what's the kind of big ritual that you have maybe or the thing you have to tick off one of the things to sort of signify the end of a tour is I buy a really big milk because you know like a family of four will just <laughs> automatically buy a giant milk for their fridge and I live six pints um, exactly and I just think there's, there's there's not enough days in the week I'm only home a day and a half I have, there's not that many bowls of cereal I can cups of tea I can rattle through so yeah. I buy a really big milk and a friend of mine I once told her that and she said I think it's really sad and I was like why are you sad I drink milk oh, when I'm awake I just can't buy milk when I'm away. Yeah. But yeah, it's almost like the final journey <laughs> from wherever wherever the last place is. I think it's Tunbridge Wells on this one. Uh, I'll, uh, that's a long drive back from Tunbridge Wells. So on the way back, I'll buy a really big milk and that signifies some time at home. But I'm very much looking forward to being on tour. It's really, it's so part of your makeup as a comedian. And if without an audience, I'm not sure if you can even call yourself a comedian. So I can't wait to get out and, and to just make people laugh and cheer them up i think we all need a bit of that oh well absolutely and you've uh, you've cheered us up no end and i'm sure the people listening ah oh, it's been an absolute pleasure oh it's been a pleasure our end as well thank you so much uh sarah for your time and uh, you know I, I feel like i want to go and buy a big milk now as well just to <laughs> signify being at home and the joys of home absolutely thank you very much for having me You've been listening to Life on a Plate with Waitrose. I'm Jimmy Famarewa. Thank you to my co-host, Alison Okavy, and to our guest, Sarah Millican. To learn more about the series, please go to www.waitrose.com forward slash podcast. And please subscribe wherever you get your podcasts.